Welcome to the latest episode of Addiction Audio, the podcast from the journal Addiction. In this episode, I spoke to Wayne Hall about his latest paper, published as part of the Addiction Classics series. For those who haven't explored them yet, the Addiction Classics papers explore a paper or a series of papers or other cultural phenomena like books or films that those interested in the field of addiction should probably know about. They're less systematic reviews of a topic and more reflections on the impact that these pieces of work have had. Other topics covered have included Lee Robbins' Vietnam Veterans Studies, Bruce K. Alexander's Rat Park and many more. Wayne has picked a 1930s exploitation movie that many people will recognise the title of, even if few have actually seen it. Before we start, a little apology for the minor sound quality issues in this episode, as it was recorded remotely across the internet between the UK and Australia, and occasionally that geographical distance becomes apparent. First of all, can I get you to briefly introduce yourselves? Uh, Wayne Hall, at the, the National Centre for Youth Substance Use Research at the University of Queensland, and also at the Queensland Alliance for Environmental Health Sciences. And we're talking today because you've just published a new paper as part of the Addictions Classics series about reefer madness. So can you tell us what reefer madness is? Well, it's a phrase that lots of people have heard and uh, often use, probably without ever seeing the film that uh, took that title. It's a rather melodramatic and honestly, truly bad film made in the US in the late 1930s that purports to tell uh, an audience, its audience what happens if young people smoke marijuana. And it involves a group of young high school students being introduced to it and rapidly their lives uh, sort of go pear-shaped. Uh, one drives a car while intoxicated and nearly kills somebody. Uh, one uh, accidentally shoots and kills uh, another while intoxicated. Uh, another develops uh, psychotic symptoms and ends up in a mental hospital and one of the group uh, commits suicide uh, out of guilt of what happens to the other. So this all happens fairly rapidly and it's uh, often mistakenly believed to have been a a government propaganda film to uh, persuade young people that it was a bad idea to smoke uh, cannabis. And it's definitely a phrase that that we hear all the time. So so why did you think this film was worthy of of an addiction classics paper? Well, I was aware that it, it, it wasn't an educational film. I would, I'd heard uh, that it was an exploitation film, meaning that it was a movie that was made in the guise of being an educational film that uh, could present salacious content to audiences in a, uh, while pretending to be uh, doing the, the, the honest thing and persuading young people not to use drugs. Uh, but I hadn't looked into it in any detail, and I became quite interested in tracing uh, back where it came from and and I enlisted the assistance of Sarah Yates, who's the co-author on this, who's a, a digital historian, uh, reference librarian, and she was able to turn up some some great information on this that uh, really clarified the origins of this film and and the role that uh, it did or didn't play in uh, the prohibition of uh, cannabis uh, in the US in 1937. So what were some of the things that, that you and Sarah found out while you were researching? Well, I, I think the first one was that um, it really, its fame is largely due to Keith Strop, who was a, a 1970s, he's still around a, a cannabis uh, campaigner for legalization of cannabis, who founded the organization Normal. And he produced a, a shortened form of the film that he used to show to co- college audiences in the early 1970s. And uh, we include in the, the paper a, a Google plot, which just shows that 
the phrase was almost never mentioned before the early 1970s. So it, it became famous as a result of uh, Strop. He gave it the uh, year of uh, release of 1936, which was the year before uh, marijuana was prohibited in the US and he pushed the line, which most people have uh, critically accepted that this film was used to engineer the prohibition of uh, cannabis and hence that the, the, the policy was based on a, a bunch of lies and, a, and a, a really lousy film. Are you able to tell any more about sort of what the truth of that actually is? So who was the film aimed at when it was made? Do we know much about that? Well, the exploitation movie circuit, and this was Sarah's a movie buff, um, was well versed in this. From about the um, mid 30s, I think it was, all Hollywood films were censored before being shown. And you weren't allowed to show drug use or any uh, indecent behavior in a, a Hollywood film that was approved. But if you didn't have the Hollywood approval, you could show these films in sort of little uh, movie theaters in downtown seedy parts of town. You could give them salacious titles. You could uh, beat them up as uh, really exciting uh, and containing all sorts of forbidden material. Uh, and we include an example of an advertisement from the 1930s for not this film, but another film of the, the same provenance. Um, and there was a whole industry of, of people who made exploitation films who were fairly cynical about it. Um, releasing these films and of course attempting to defend what they were doing by saying they were serving the public good by warning young people about uh, the dangers of drug use. And one of the things that Sarah was able to find was a ruling by the Federal Trade Commission, which is the uh, arm of the US federal government that regulates commercial activities, telling the distributors of this film to stop saying that it had the approval of the, the, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics and that it had the approval of education authorities as well. So we know there was a federal ruling saying it did not have the approval of the federal government. It did not have the approval of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. So it was an exploitation film and its relationship to uh, prohibition has is, is really been seriously misunderstood. Because when people use the phrase reefer madness, they sort of use it in a kind of I don't know, sarcastic way of the harms of cannabis have been overhyped. Um, yeah. So do you think there's much, is there much evidence to support that, that sort of this, this idea of reefer madness is a, is a fiction or is it a bit more nuanced than that? Well, it's much more nuanced than that. I mean, certainly the film, the claims made in the film would be hard to defend. It, you know, a, a young man smokes a couple of joints and rapidly goes downhill, becomes psychotic and ends up in a mental hospital. That's not what the sort of evidence suggests. It suggests that it's young people who start in their mid-adolescence who become daily users and continue to use daily over periods of months, more often years, uh, who develop psychotic illnesses. Now, it's quite likely that a lot of the young people who get involved in that pattern are at higher risk of developing these disorders. But the use of heavy use of cannabis of that sort, daily use, you know, every day when people wake throughout the day and heavily intoxicated, that pattern of use certainly makes, uh, it brings on these disorders probably about two years sooner than maybe it would have happened in the absence of that cannabis use. And if the drug use continues, they have a much worse outcome. They're much more frequently hospitalized. They have more frequent relapses and more severe psychotic symptoms. So the use of reefer madness is typically tended to dismiss any suggestion that uh, heavy cannabis use might contribute to uh, poor mental health. And I, I think that's, uh, it's done a disservice in that sort of sense. 
And in the paper, we referred to it as the Trumpian trope. It's used a lot like fake news. We don't have to argue this case. We just throw this phrase at someone who wants to argue this case is, is in the same league as the makers of this rather uh, bad film. So despite you saying it's an addiction classic, you're not suggesting that we all rush out and, and watch it ourselves? Well, not unless you've got nothing else to do. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> think I've seen it uh, a long time ago when I was at college and I've seen the, the shortened form of it and uh, it's pretty terrible. Uh, Strop uh, deliberately cut it because no one could sit through, I think it's nearly an hour's length, the original film. And I think he cut it in half and I think most people will probably give up after about 10 or 15 minutes. It's on the web, anyone can download it, it's on YouTube. So you, you can get a bit of a feel for the flavor of it if you're interested. But I, I think we wrote this just sort of debunk the idea that this was uh, the, the standard sort of account of uh, the role that it played in bringing about cannabis prohibition in the US. So this is very different to your previous Addiction Classics paper, which I love, about um, Lee Robbins' Vietnam veteran study, where yeah. your sort of main conclusion is everyone should go and read the original work. This, that's, yes. not, that's not your same conclusion for this well, one. I, well, I think it, it, it probably wouldn't hurt here if, if people are in, in the habit of using the phrase. And it's clear from uh, when we were researching this, I did some uh, PubMed searches, and it's surprising the number of articles in uh, you know, scholarly journals which use this phrase in the title or in the abstract. And if you do you know, Google Scholar searches, you know, there's just hundreds of these sorts of articles where people use it. And they don't often even cite the source uh, and they just assume that it's so well known that this film was made in 1936 and it was the main reason why cannabis was prohibited in the US. And it's sort of part of the mythology. I guess it's a, a good example of how false beliefs come to be widely accepted because it fits with our pre-existing prejudices. And, you know, we were just interested in debunking this particular one. And what would be the key kind of take-home message from your paper that you would want people to, to get from your article? Well, I think it's probably more that beware of people using Trumpian tropes like reefer madness as, a, as an, uh, an alternative to actually arguing about the evidence uh, and, and thinking through uh, what it is that we're talking about when we want to suggest that uh, cannabis might be a contributory cause of psychosis in some individuals. And I, I think a large part of the, the reason that the resistance to that sort of hypothesis comes from the, I think, mistaken assumption that if we accept that cannabis is a contributory cause of psychosis, then it follows we should prohibit it. And I, we clearly make the case in the, the paper that that's not the case. After all, we know alcohol causes psychosis. We don't see that as a, a reason for banning alcohol because we know of the adverse counterproductive effects that uh, prohibition has in that case. And I guess we could, you know, advocates of cannabis legalization can mount exactly the same sort of argument about cannabis and, uh, and his contribution to psychosis. I'd been partially aware that um, Ansling is the sort of standard uh, you know, cartoon villain of cannabis prohibition in, in most popular histories. Uh, certainly he was a, he believed in prohibition of cannabis and he uh, made the same sorts of claims as he made in the film. So it's not uh, defaming him to sort of say that he uh, would have supported the, the sentiment that was shown in the film. But there's a much more interesting story about his role in cannabis prohibition. He started off as late as 1935, he thought cannabis was not a big deal at all. And uh, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics was publishing reports sort of saying that the real problem was heroin and uh, opiates. Um, cannabis was very small 
beer and it was really a minor problem in some southern uh, states. He was really forced to uh, accept national prohibition by agitation from state uh, law enforcement, particularly from Louisiana, where they did have a fairly large uh, cannabis problem and not amongst Mexicans or anyone else, it was amongst young uh, white uh, adolescents. Um, and he in fact opposed federal prohibition because he thought it wouldn't survive constitutional challenge and it didn't. Although it didn't, had to wait until 1969 and Timothy Leary uh, for it to be thrown out. But um, he preferred state-based prohibition because he wouldn't have to enforce it. Uh, it's when the Congress passed uh, the federal, uh, the Marijuana Tax Act, they refused to give any additional resources to the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. So he largely, his um, strategy was to uh, shame local police into enforcing the law by putting out articles uh, telling people about the harms of the drug. So uh, the sort of bad news uh, claims, the articles that he published in a lot of the movies came after the Marijuana Tax Act rather than before it, and it was largely to uh, build public support for its enforcement. I was surprised at how much scholarship there is on this topic. There's been a couple of very good um, history PhDs recently in the last 10 years in the US where, where they've actually gone back to primary sources and, um, and shown that you know, there was a lot more public concern about cannabis in parts of the US uh, than people have given credit for. I guess the other thing that's a bit of a surprise is that the other standard account is that the Marijuana Tax Act was a racist act, you know, sort of motivated by hostility towards Mexicans because Mexicans were the major consumers of cannabis. And of course, marijuana was a Mexican word um, the, for the drug. Um, that story really misses the point too, because Mexico prohibited cannabis uh, in 1923, I think it was. So Mexico prohibited cannabis well before the US did. So the whole idea that this was a, uh, a sort of a Yankee uh, suppression of Mexicans is, is really uh, a, a mistaken impression and a simplification of the history as well. So yeah, there's a lot to dig into in, in this one sort of throwaway exploitation film. You can un unpick yeah. a whole a whole raft of interesting findings about the history of cannabis prohibition and cannabis um, legislation in the USA. Yeah, well, I think Sarah Yates is probably going to write a, a separate article for, a, uh, I guess, a a sort of film studies uh, journal, giving a lot more of the detail because we couldn't put it all in here, but she's come up with some fascinating material. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's something we can all keep an eye out for. And um, thank you so much for your time and for talking to us about your paper. You're welcome. And there we are. Thank you so much to Wayne for taking the time to speak to me. And I hope that you all found that as interesting as I did. Do go and read the paper to find out more and watch the movie if you dare. See you next time. Bye.